Good morning. Those who don't know me, my name is Andres Jimenez. This is uh, my third year here in Faith Community Church. I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. Uh, my wife, Mariela, <clears throat> she's from Argentina. Uh, she asked me this morning, who's going to be teaching since David Kemp is not going to be here? I am. So she said, I'm not going. <laughs> now she's not, she cannot be here today. Um, this is the time of the year that we have to do over 20 hours of continuing education for our license. And so she's still working on that today, and she cannot be here today with us. We have three boys, Tomas, uh, Mateo, uh, and Lucas. And uh, it's a blessing to be here today. I'm a wretched sinner saved by the grace of God. In the spring of 2011, I was looking for answers. Nobody can answer my questions. Being in a, in a chiropractic school is like to be in Athens or Greece in the first century with so many philosophies, ideas. And I was asking... My question was, is there a spiritual life? What is it? If there's a God, who is it? And I couldn't find those answers there. So, let me go to a church. That's where people go, right? To find out about, excuse me, their spirituality. And I went to the first church, the first one that I saw. I couldn't go to a Muslim mosque or Buddhist temple. It wouldn't make any difference to me. went to a church. I wanted to find out about this spirituality. So I told my wife, let's go to church. Are you crazy? So I went to this church. It was a Baptist church. And for the first time, I was confronted with the gospel. They preached the gospel. And uh, I left that day to church and got me thinking. So I went for the second time. Next Sunday. That Sunday was Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And the preacher preached the gospel again. And it was right there that he confronted me with my problem. Yes, there's a God. You can see the heavens and you can tell there's something overnatural over there. But the problem was called sin. No, nobody told me about that. So they asked for, uh, like most of these Baptist churches, they, they do an altar call and they ask for a decision. And I start crying. God, if you exist, and if you have the power, which I don't think so, to forgive all my sins, please forgive me. Have mercy on me. I cry like a baby, pleading to God. I repent. Turn away from all my idols and I turn to you. Please be merciful of me. That very morning, the Lord opened my eyes, opened my understanding, and He put a heart 
of flesh in my heart. For the first time in my life, I was at peace with God. I run and told my wife, I became a Christian. I became a Christian. And she is, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> so, two years later, by the grace of God, the Lord saved my wife. Believe me, when I read in Romans chapter 1, that the gospel is the power of God to salvation, I take that very literally. It is the power of God to salvation. Open your Bible to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to talk about today about discerning the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the Antichrist. Discerning the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the Antichrist. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be reading today from section 1 to 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirit to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone up into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God, listen to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. A few weeks ago, Andy Stanley, the pastor of the second largest church in the United States, around 36,000 people gather every Sunday in North Point. He made a few statements about the Bible. Let me quote from him. Evangelical Christianity has a big problem, and that problem is a reliance on the Bible that is both unwarranted and unhelpful. Quote, in other words, the Bible is not appropriate to present and to defend Christianity. That's a big statement. Those who are interested in this information, you can email me. I can email you the, the links and the videos about this information. Not only that, he also added, Christianity, quote, Christianity made its greatest strides during the, the 282 years before the Bible existed, end of quote. Later, he concludes that the Bible did not become the Bible until the 4th century. And now you wonder, what this guy is talking about? <coughs> this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking in Matthew 21, 42. Have you never read in Scripture when he was in the temptation in the wilderness, the Lord answered it three times. It is written. It is written. Be gone, Satan, for it is written. But when he confronted, when Jesus confronted the Jewish leaders, you search the scriptures. 
because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is them that bear witness about me. John five thirty nine. Or when the Lord rose from the death in his road to Emmaus, he didn't talk about how great was the, my resurrection, what was the power of my resurrection. No. He said, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. What is not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter in his glory? And beginning from Moses to all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The Lord have a, had a very clear understanding of scriptures. Paul, referring to the writings of Luke, In 1 Timothy 5.18, refer as scripture. The apostle Peter referred to the writings of Paul as writing of scripture. In the first century. So, no, Mr. Stanley, the Bible did not become the Bible in the fourth century. The Bible became the Bible at the very moment at the human author carried along by the Holy Spirit, moved by the Holy Spirit, pen each book of the Bible. Therefore, Revelation is the last book of the Bible and it was written before the turn of the century, the first century. We have to be careful with a lot of these pastors, especially online. We're going to talk about more about that. In John epistle, John was uh, the letters of John was one of the latest letters in the New Testament. The year probably is 90, 95. By the time John's write this letter, all the apostles have died. And he was the only apostle, the only apostle to be alive in that time. External evidence shows that he spent a lot of time in Ephesus and probably he wrote his letters in the city of Ephesus, a city located in the west part of Asia Minor, which is today Turkey. John is in his late 90s and he has a very active ministry. He's a pastor. He's an evangelist. He's an apologetic. He's a teacher. He's a writer. First, before this letter, he wrote the Gospel of John. Then he wrote these three letters. And then he wrote the book of Revelation. And John wrote this letter to the churches of Asia Minor for two reasons. For two reasons. First, to edify the local church. With practical exhortation. If you turn to chapter 5, verse 13, you can see the explicit purpose of John writing this letter. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. One key word to understand the epistle of John is the verb to know, to know. It's appeared over 40 times in the New Testament. <coughs> to know, to know, to know. John wants something that his readers to know. And by implication, God to us. What is it? Well, that's the first purpose. The second one, the second reason, was polemic. There's a problem in that, in that area. It's a problem. John want to confront and to correct error, error in that churches. False teachers were infiltrating in those churches in that time. And you may ask what happened in those churches with, there's so, there were so great teachings, sound doctrines, 
See, Paul founded Ephesus. He ministered there for three years. Timothy, his son, they were pastoring those churches. Titus, disciples of the Apostle Boy. And, and even the, the old Apostle John is ministering to these churches. And what went wrong? What went wrong? Have your Bible turned to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Luke wrote this uh, book around 58 AD. This is uh, probably 30 years before the Apostle John wrote the letter. What happened with these churches in this area? Exactly what Paul predicted. If you go to chapter 20 and verse... 29, Paul here is about to leave. The elders are praying and crying for him. And look what he said. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And, and from among your own self will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciple after them. That's exactly what happened. Paul predicted fierce wolf, false teachers infiltrating the church. And who were these false teachers? Who were those false teachers? These false teachers who were infiltrating the church. It was at the early version what we know as the Gnostics. The Gnostic, Gnosticism, that if full-blown in the second century, it was starting to flourish during this time. Gnostics come from the, uh, the Greek word knowledge. They were claiming that they have a secret, mystical, esoterical knowledge about Jesus. And they were the only ones to have access to this knowledge. about Jesus Christ. These Gnostics were influenced by the Greek philosophers. Greek philosophy, dualism. They thought that matter, it was evil. And the spirit is good. They also thought that Jesus was one of the many spirits that emanates from God. Very serious declaration, right? There was another form of Gnosticism that they were teaching that the spirit of Christ, it was just like a phantom, just something that appeared. And they were Attacking the humanity of Christ. And of course, John, as a pastor, as a great pastor, wanted to protect his flock. Again, these fierce wolves. John in the 90s, he says in his 90s, he's been an eyewitness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Probably the only one alive in that time. As an apostle, he's a man of certainty. He's a man, he's a man of conviction. He's a man committed to the truth. He loved the truth. And after being an eyewitness of the truth, the Lord Jesus Christ, at this age, he don't have that tolerance to deal with error and false teachers. Remember, he's known as the disciple of what? Love. And one of the greatest acts of love you can do is tell the truth. Like the way it is. He was committed with the truth. 
If you can go with me, go to Second John. Second John. Right there, verse 1. Let me... Verse 1, Second John. Look at where he, uh, the first verse. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who knows the truth because of the truth that abide in us and will be us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father and Son, in truth and love. Verse 4, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. If you go, go to John, the third letter, third letter of John, verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, who I love in truth. Beloved, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health. And it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. As indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Verse 8. Therefore, we ought to support people like this, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. John loved the truth. He loved his spiritual sons walking in the truth. He rejoiced in his sons walking in the truth. Definitely John was committed with the truth. He didn't play around. And he exposed error right away. John warned his readers to exercise discernment when they encounter people claiming to speak in the name of God. So here John will give us three instructions. For discerning the spirit of God and the spirit of the Antichrist. Three instructions in how to reconcile the spirit of God from the spirit of the Antichrist. We're going to see first the, the charge. Number one, the charge for testing the spirit. We're going to see that in the first two clauses in, in verse one. The charge for testing the spirit. Two, we're going to see the reason for testing the Spirit at the end of verse 1. And three, the criteria for testing the Spirit between the verses 2 and 6. So let's see first the charge for testing the Spirit. We can see that in verse 1, the first two clauses in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God. John opened his section with his pastoral affection. Beloved, beloved. Remember, he's a pastor, and he exercised and hears his pastoral guidance. Every time we use this term, beloved, in the letter of John, is to express his affection to the readers, but also to let them know you have to listen to something important that I have to tell you. Listen, beloved. In other words, he's saying, my dear friends, come and listen. This is very, very important. What I have to say. In John, start with a negative command. Do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every spirit. This imperative verb with a negative particle could also be translated stop believing. Whatever you are believing right now, stop. Stop. Stop believing. 
stop thinking of that. Invisible spirits always uses the means of men. And the means of these spirits were also using these false teachers. These false teachers were teaching a false gospel within the church. And they were distorting the person and the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. So then John continues with a positive command now. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God. And the verb that John uses right here is dokimaso, which, which means to put, to test, to examine. And it carries the sense of making a critical examination of something in order to determine its genuineness. This is the same verb Paul uses in Second Corinthians 13, verse 5. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Dokimaso. Back in the ancient times, uh, they have different ways, methods for testing the metals in order to determine the purity and the value of these metals. Even today, uh, to, uh, one of the best ways to test precious metals or gold or silver is today they use the test of the nitric amuratic acid. And you can test these coins and you can put the acid. And in seconds, it will determine which ones are the fake ones and which ones are the real ones. So that's the sense that this verb carry. Test critically to see if it's real. So John is commanding his reader to stop believing and also to not accept any teaching unless critical examination of that teaching was previously and carefully done. And Christians are called to discern. We are called to discern. We are called to test. That was the exhortation that Paul was giving to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Test everything. Test everything. And hold fat what is good. Abstain from, evil, from every form of evil. We have to test everything. And we have to be very careful these days, especially with, with the Internet and the social media. We have access to thousands of thousands of sermons and blogs with unsound doctrine, unsound teaching. We have to be very careful. We have to make a critical examination of every spirit. If it's on, it's on the website, on Facebook, or sermons. We have to be very, very careful. We have to stick to, to the doctrine of our elders here, of our teaching. If you have a question about this blog, about this sermon, go to the elders. Ask them. You can count with your hand, with one hand, how many good blogs or good speakers or good preachers you can find out there. You have to be careful. We have to be like the Bereans. I love this verse in Acts 17, 11. Let me read it to you. Don't go there. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the world with all eagerness, examining the, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. How often are we doing this? How often are we going to be testing? Well, the, the verb dokimaso is in, is in the present tense. That means that something that occurred in the past, but it will continually having its effects in the present. That being said, that you're going to do this continually in a habit all the time, every time. 
The Bereans were examining the scripture daily. Even at this moment that I'm speaking right here, stop and test my words and align them with scriptures to see if they are truth. Not only the, pes- the present tense, but I like the mood of the verbs. This mood is uh, imperative. And I love imperative because that made me, Andres, stop and think. God is commanding. This is not a suggestion. This is a command to obey from the Lord. I like the way John Stott said it. So behind every prophet is a spirit, and behind each spirit, either God or the devil. God or the devil. So this is a charge for testing the spirit. We have to test everything. It's a command. The second instruction that John gave us over here is a reason for testing the spirit. The reason. God doesn't give us command in a vacuum. He has a reason. And always, you know what I found out? Perfect reasons. Perfect. (laughs) Even sometimes I'm like, ugh. But perfect. Why we should test every spirit? Please notice in verse, the end of verse 1. For many false prophets prophets have gone out into the world. Every good student of the New Testament will right away identify that the main theme in the New Testament is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see the four, four gospels. Then we see the book of Acts. That's the expansion, the history of the gospel. And then we see all the Catholic letters and the uh, Pauline letters, which tell us how to live the theology to live that gospel. But the second theme, I, I think, in the New Testament... It's about false teachers. Over and over and over, Paul, Peter, Jude, you will find this. Every time when we, we find repetition of a word or phrase or a subject, put attention to that. Because that's carry the emphasis. And the Lord warned us about these false prophets in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 7, verse 15 to 20, the Lord Jesus Christ made clear this warning. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their, by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the deceased tree bears a bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a deceased tree bear good fruit. Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. O Lord Jesus, warn us about these false prophets. False prophets appear to be genuine in the outside, but they are false in the inside and they lead people away from the truth the apostle Peter also warned us about these false teachers in 2nd Peter chapter 2 verse 1 and 3 but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon their self-swift destruction. <coughs> I like what this commentator said. Listen to this. Truth mixed is usually far more effective and far more destructive than straightforward contradiction of the truth. And that's exactly what Paul 
was exhorting to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14 and 15. And no wonder, for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. So it is not surprised if his servant also disguised disguised himself as servant of righteousness. Research. The two largest church in America. One in, number one in, in Lakewood. Joel Austin, and the number two church is Annie Stanley Norpoint, both combined gather 70,000 people every Sunday. 70,000 every Sunday. Spreading this kind of false teaching. And you can tell where, because we are here inside, but we don't see from the outside, but that's what more America think about Christianity when they ask questions and they see this big church and say, oh, this is what Christianity is. Wow. Let's, now, uh, let's go now to the third instruction. We have the command for testing the spirit, the reason for testing the spirit, and now let's do Let's go for the criteria for testing the spirit. John does not leave anything to chance. He charges to test the spirit. He gave us a reason. And finally, he gave us the criteria, the method. In this section, John gave us three criteria to discern between the spirit of God and the spirit of Antichrist. Those who are taking notes, you can write down 3A, 3B, 3C. <laughs> So this is 3A. This is the first criteria. We can see in verse 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. The first was a doctrinal test. And to be more specific, a Christological test, who is Jesus Christ. What does a person say? Who is Jesus Christ? As a matter of fact, that, that's the most important question you can ask. We finished the book of John after a year teaching in the Hispanic uh, ministry. Now we started with the book of Mark. And, and amazing, you know, uh, Mark has 16 chapters. The center is in chapter 8. And the question in, that, in the center of that book is, Jesus asking, who, who they say that I am? Who is the Christ? Who is the Christ? And, and, it's, and it's funny because the first eight chapters of man, it, it's a lot of confusion. The disciples are confused. The people of Israel are confused. The Jewish leaders are confused. Except one group, the demons. The demons were articulating great theology, great Christology in the first eight chapters. So who is Christ? What does John say about who is Jesus Christ? Those who are from God confess that Jesus has come in the flesh. Jesus is the human name. It's not a title. It's a human name. And Christ is his title. Jesus, Yeshua, salvation. And Christ is the title. It's a Greek word for, for the Messiah, the anointed one. A royal title that was used in the Old Testament to refer to divinely appointing kings of Israel and to deliver a ruler, the Messiah promised by the prophets. Confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is one of the most essential doctrine in Christian faith. This is the doctrine of incarnation. Confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is confessing that Jesus Christ 
is God incarnated. The Gnostics were teaching that Jesus did not come in the flesh. They believed that Jesus was one of the many spirits of God. And this is why John opened his letter. In the first chapter, if you go to the first chapter of John, right away he, he started with Christology. Because he's making his point. That which was from the beginning, this is not uh, the beginning of the creation. He's mentioned the beginning of, of the gospel, the first time the gospel arrived in, in this time, which we we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we look upon and have touched with our hand, concerning whom? The word of life, Jesus Christ. The life was made manifest and have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and made it and, as, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with him, as indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. John was an eyewitness of the Lord, of the word of life. And he perceived the word of life with all of his senses. Touch, hear, see. In the court, if you want to, uh, if you want a witness, you want an eyewitness, somebody who was there. The Nazi were claiming they had a mystical, secret knowledge of Jesus Christ. For the Gnostics, Jesus was just an imagination. For John and the Apostle, it was true. A real, certain, historical event. John in his gospel also affirmed this reality in John 1.14. Don't go there, I'll read it for you. And the, word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory and glory as of the only Son from the Father Full of grace and truth. The verb to confess, homo logeo. Homo means the same, logeo to speak the same. We speak the same about Jesus Christ. Why? Was it already revealed in scriptures? As Christians, we must confess. We must speak the same things that the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is one with God the Father. And, the, and that he proceeded from him as the living word of God. That he became flesh. That he manifested the humanity as the second person of the Trinity. And he is the son of God. And lived a sinless life. That he died. Literally rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, that he's coming back to rapture his church. And later he will establish his literal physical millennial kingdom. He will destroy this universe and will create a new one, a new heavens, a new earth. And we will live forever with him worship him this is the gospel of Jesus Christ anything less no when the cults come to you the sects you need to know your Christology because that's where they're going to first attack you you have to own that Christology they're going to attack the person and they're going to attack the cross. 
You need to learn. You need to master this doctrine. And the, the doctrine of incarnation is very important to Christianity. Why? According to the plan of God, Jesus came into the flesh so that he might die as substitutionary death as man for the sins of another man. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurre- resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. If we take out the humanity of Christ, we take the atonement. Brothers and sisters, we don't have a salvation. We don't have a salvation. Very important doctrine to know. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Very essential, the doctrine of the incarnation. Now, regarding to those who don't confess Jesus Christ, John makes a contrast with them. Please, not in verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world. They are not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. The expression Antichrist is found only here in the letters of John. There's uh, five appearances in four verses. 1 John 2.18, it's twice right there. Verse 22, chapter 4, verse 3, and 2 John 7. Every spirit propagating any religion or philosophy that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Such teachings is erroneous, heretical, and is a rejection of Christ. And John called it the spirit of the Antichrist. Anti just means, it's a Greek word that means in place of. Therefore, any idea in place of the one, of the true Christ, of the true Christ of the Bible, it comes from the spirit of the Antichrist. By saying, wish you heard was coming. Here John's telling his readers, they knew about this. They knew about the Antichrist and the Antichrist that were coming. We're, le- we're going to a, a very thorough study uh, in Scatholi with David Kim. Amazing study, great study. I'm enjoying it, very amazing. Let's go detail, verse by verse, explaining all these facts and all this. It's very important to know our eschatology. We saw it in Daniel 9, verse 26, 27. We, we went there so many times. But also the Lord talked about the Antichrist. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 5. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And then later on verse 24, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and, pl- and perform great th- signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. That's the mission of the Antichrist, to deceive. And this doctrine, it, it was very clear for the readers of John. As a matter of fact, it, uh, Paul in its uh, second Thessalonian uh, te- uh, second test Thessalonian was one of the first books in the New Testament to be written in, in the year 50 and he spoke in detail about the Antichrist in, in second Thessalonian chapter 2 verse 3 and 4 let no one deceive you in any way for that they will not come unless the rebellion come first and the man of Lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who oppose and exalt himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he take his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. We have to own our eschatology. Eschatology, eschatology is one of the basic, basic, Teaching in early Christianity. 
even we don't think so, but it is. We have to understand our eschatology. So these Christians in this early uh, region, they knew about the Antichrist very well. So this is the first criteria. Those with the Spirit of God confess Christ. The second criteria, we're running out of time. Those with the Spirit of God are born from God. Notice verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in, your, in you is greater than he who is in the world. Here, John is affirming that, that, that believers' security against the false teachers. True believers are born again Christians, born from above. And all true believers possess an incorruptible seed of eternal life. As Peter said in 1 Peter 1, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living, abiding word of God. True believers are partakers of the divine nature, as Peter said in his second letter. Therefore, there's no satanic deception on them. Born-again Christians are, have a supernatural insight of the truth. We love the truth. We're committed to that truth and we can discern the truth from error. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Turn, turn to me. Turn with me chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 12 and 16. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. And that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Verse 13. As we impart this in words, not thought by human wisdom, but thought by the spirit. Interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God. For they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all the time, but he himself to be judged by no one. Verse 16, for who has understood the mind of the Lord? So as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Christians have the mind of Christ. And they understand the things of the Spirit. First Corinthians 2, chapter 2. And they understand the things of the Spirit of God. When we go and evangelize, I always learn from one of my professors in apologetics, thinking of, First Corinthians chapter two verse fourteen. Expect that they're not going to believe you, because spiritual spiritual things are to be discerned by the Spirit of God, and you share with them the truth, and you reason with them from the Bible. Then John continued, for he who is in you, in you is greater than the he who is in the world. And God is greater than all these satanic forces. We overcome these satanic forces, but it's not through our strength. But it's by the power of God in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Our Lord, in the night that he was betrayed, told his disciples, 
In John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you have, may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. On the other hand, false teachers and their followers love worldly ideas. Why? Notice verse 5. Because they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listen to them. They are from the cosmos, the world system. And that world system is the invisible spiritual world of evil, the same evil system that hated Jesus. Remember John chapter 15, verse 18? If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. This is a wicked system, corrupt with demonic ideologies and enterprises that stimulate fallen humanity. And this leads us to the third and final criteria. The third criteria is those with the Spirit of God knows Him. Those with the Spirit of God know Him. In contrast to the false teachers, these teachers who are from God proclaim His Word as a sort of truth. They don't only know the truth, but they live the truth and also proclaim the truth. Notice that John uses the first person plural pronoun, we. Is referring to him and the other writers of the Bible. All true teachers proclaim the word of God. As Paul instructed to his John disciple, Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God. <sighs> Exhale from God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Beloved brothers and sisters, the only way to know God is through the scriptures. It's not my dreams, it's not my personal experience. It's not my vision, my visions. The only way to know God is through the pages of Scripture. You want to know, you want to have a personal, deep, intimate relationship with God? Immerse yourself in Scripture. Saturate yourself with the Word of God. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, Peter said, Peter said in his letter. The Bible is the standard of truth. Sanctified then in the truth, your word is the truth, the Lord said in John 17. True believers will listen to the true teachers because they will teach the oracles of God. And true teachers listen to the voice of Christ. And John concludes with the last part of verse 6. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved brothers and sisters, you are called to discern and to test all the spirits. Not only that, but we also are being called to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We are at war. We are at war with this satanic spirit. But we have to use the right weapons for this to fight this war. This war. Concluding in the very words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 5. Love these verses. 
The Christian life is a battlefield. It's a war. Look what Paul said. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy stronghold. Verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Let's pray.